Welcome to Move by Grace, the podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel in Cambridge, Ohio. Good morning, everybody. Oh, I know we can do better than that. Good morning. It's great to have you all with us uh, that are watching on Facebook and those of you that are here in our service. We had a great service last night and uh, looking forward to hopefully another one today. Uh, You should be in your Bibles right now in Revelation chapter 10. We're in our series, uh, The Day of the Lord, and the title of this message is called The Pause Before the Storm. The Pause Before the Storm. Now, one of my, uh, I brought with me a book, uh, one of my favorite authors is uh, Lee Child. Has anybody ever read anything by Lee Child before? Uh, maybe you've seen one of his, his uh, movies that's uh, taken from the book. It's uh, about a guy named Jack Reacher. Anybody familiar now? He's the author of, of this, and I, I've read most of his uh, books, and I recently finished the book called Past Tense. And uh, that book is about where Reacher returns home to his home state of New Hampshire. And, and he's, it, he's kind of a vagabond. He travels about, doesn't have a home really only wears the clothes that he has. And he was walking down the road, hitchhiking down the road, and he saw a name of a city which reminded him this is where his dad's from. And so, he, of course, the venture begins. He's got to go see where dad lived and wondered if there was anything he could find out about his father, only to find out that everything that he knew about his father was false. What a, what a great story, right? But to help put the story together they would put little breaks, or what I like to call pauses, in the story. And they would flash back to his father and this other gentleman that uh, his father actually took his name from. And, and, and they would tell little, maybe a chapter long, or maybe two chapters long, this filler that helped round out the story to make it better. You know what I'm talking about? You ever read a book like that? You're just kind of reading along, and then all of a sudden you go back in time, and you're like, oh. Now the problem is, if we do like we do with the Bible, sometimes, maybe more than often, and we pick up the story and open up to page 293, and we start reading, we kind of miss what the whole thing is about. And then we keep reading, and we're like, well, this doesn't make sense because it was talking about this here and that there. And that's true in a Lee Child story, and it's very true in how we look at and read the book of Revelation. See, the problem is, we kind of think of it as a linear line, uh, which it's very closely tied to a line that starts with the vision that John has had, and it carries on until the uh, chapter 19, where we have Armageddon, we have the Millennial Kingdom in chapter 20, we have the new heaven, the new earth, we have the great white throne judgment, Everything's great, the end of history as we know it. But built in this historical timeline are brackets or pauses that help us understand events. So to kind of help us before we, we dive into this chapter that was read for us, to help us, let's kind of think of it like this. There's there's a bracket or a pause, and then it's back to events and judgments, followed by what we're going to see now, another bracket or pause that finishes up then the whole book with this complete and utter and terrifying and glorious ending. So, let's review, and maybe I can help craft this for you so you can see that. Beginning in chapter 1, um, John's given a vision, and, and he is told to do three things. He said, write what you saw, write what is, and write what is to come. And so in chapter 2 and 3, he writes what is. And this was a message to these seven churches. That message was universal for all of those churches. It was individual for each one of those churches. It was important for us. We're called to be overcomers at the end of it. And it gave us a beautiful historic picture of the church age in chapter 4, we view uh, what we call the rapture. John is told to come up here, and worship begins, and it's 
It's this grand worship service in heaven, the 24 elders, the four living creatures, all the angels, they gather together and they worship God for his creation. Now, mind you that there are specific worships that happen in heaven. This was the first one, and it worshiped God for creation. In chapter 5, when we get into that worship service, because John has said, who's worthy to take the scroll? And he begins to cry, and then Jesus comes and takes the scroll. And there's a great worship service in chapter 5 because Jesus is worthy because of the redemption that he bore for us on the cross. And then in chapter 6, we see what really Revelation is about. Not just the revelation of Jesus Christ, but the revelation of him taking the scroll, breaking the seals, and getting back what God gave him in Psalms chapter 2. Psalms chapter 2, we're told that, that God, God's says, I'm go- this is yours. All of this. And so he begins to break the seals, one through six. We see the false ruler, we see war, we see famine, we see pestilence, which is like viruses. We see death of a quarter of the earth's population. We see tribulation saints murdered and under the throne. And then at the end of chapter 6, we see this great earthquake. Is it all coming back to you now? And then in chapter 7, we have our first pause. Why a pause here? The chronology stops so that we can see 144,000. Remember that message about the 144,000? We see 144,000 Jewish men who are sealed by God because it tells us See, the question is, where did the tribulation martyrs come from? Well, now we know. These 144,000. God goes and says, this is, this is where they came from. They, this great revival as they went throughout the world saving people. And then we see um, at the end how God takes care of these martyrs. I love the end of chapter 7 where God deals with his tribulation saints, and he feeds them, and, he, and they worship him. And, and again, this is our third worship service, and they're worshiping him for their salvation, and he feeds them, and Jesus is their shepherd. And what we see for these martyred tribulation saints is a heavenly Psalms 23. And then after this first pause, seal 7 is broken. pause is over, but there is silence in heaven, remember, for a half an hour, and as seal seven is broken, seven trumpets, seven angels with seven trumpets come forth. Now, we, we get fractions now, okay, remember fractions, and in, in, uh, I, know, I know we have an educator in the room, a couple of them, uh, fractions are okay, not my favorite math subject, Right, But um, now fractions come into play in these trumpets. And by fractions, I mean the fraction a third, 0.33. Right? You following? It says a third of the earth is on fire. The first trumpet blows, a third of the earth is on fire. The second trumpet blows, a third of the ocean is destroyed and all the living creatures that are in it. And a third of the ships that sailed the sea are destroyed. And then the third trumpet is blown, and the third of the fresh water. If you thought, well, I can make it through the fires, and I can make it through the ocean, because I don't have to drink fresh water. Well, now a third of the fresh water turns toxic. And people are dying. And then we see a third of the sun, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars go dark. Can you, can you imagine what that would be like? Now, I don't know anybody who was in, like, New Concord on, on Friday, but there was a fire, and I heard it was a pretty big one, and you could see the smoke, and that's from one garage. Can you imagine 17 states on fire, and the sun darkened, and the moon darkened, and the stars darkened, and you're not sure if you can drink this water, because you're not sure if this water's bad, and the stench, if you lived by the ocean from dead animals coming to shore. And this is a horrible time. But then at the end 
of chapter 8, what do we see? We see an eagle flying, saying three words. Woe, woe, woe. The next three trumpets are worse than the last. It's one of three times in Scripture where an animal speaks. Woe means horror, horror, horror. Like, this is, you thought that's bad? This is really going to get bad. And then we see the first woe. We go from the supernatural events of stars falling from the heaven and, and fire, and we go to demonic events. Now the pit is opened and demonic locusts come and sting people and cause them, remember from last week, or two weeks ago, they wanted to die, but they could not. they like, I, I, I want to die, but I can't. As I told our group last night, they, they go in their garage, they start their car, they roll down their window and close the doors, but nothing happens. They just live in agony. And the angel says the first woe was done. That's pretty bad. But the second woe is even worse. At the second woe, four more demons come forth and lead an army of 200 million. Now, I can't, I, I can't imagine what that army looks like. But at that point, a third of the people of the earth die. A massive war breaks out, and with war comes death. A third of the people. Now, let's put it together. In the seals, a quarter of the earth dies. In the trumpets, a third of the earth dies. And if that were to start tomorrow, that number would be four billion people. That's, that's a lot, right? This is a horrible time to be alive. But you would think they would be looking for God in that moment. You would think they would be looking for mercy in that moment. You would think that they would be crying out, how much longer, O oh Lord, do I have to endure this? Yet, the Scripture says they hardened their hearts towards God. So what will God do? Well, the answer is an interlude or a pause. Before God blows the seventh trumpet and unleashes what will come out of that, the seven bowls, he has a pause. So notice how this has been working. Six seals, a pause. The seventh seal, which in, opens up seven more judgments. Six of them come out in the trumpets. Horrific, horrific ones. And a pause. This is a longer one. And there's many characters in this one. It's a pause in the storm. When this happens, on our seven-year timeline, this is near the end. When the seven bowls happen, the fractions will be removed. You understand what I'm saying there? Like, no longer will it be a third of the water, but it will be all of the water. No longer will it be a third of the earth, but it will be all of the earth. No longer will it be a third of the sun, but it will be all of the sun. And so man cannot survive, so this is near the end. How will man do without the basic necessities of water and light? These are the final moments that Jesus said would be like birth pains on a woman. Now, I'm not a woman, nor have I ever played a woman on TV. And, and everybody say amen, right? But I, I am married to a wonderful woman. And I was there for all of my children being born, and I can remember, we, we often joke about this, especially with young couples that are, are just recently found out that they're pregnant, and I just, we tell stories, like we remember that first, like the first labor pain with Alex. It's like, it, it was intense, but my wife wasn't sure what it was, because we didn't know what it was, but, but as time went along, and then early into the next morning, man, I remember being on the phone with my mom talking, uh, we were in Maryland, she was here in Ohio, and I'm like, yeah, she's going through one right now, and I look at my wife, and she's got like, I'm going to kill you look on her face, because it was intense, but that wasn't even the worst. By 10 o'clock, she was like, can I just please have some drugs, and it was getting harder and faster and harder and faster, and then finally, Alex came, and it was glorious, but Jesus said, 
In the times of the end, the judgments of God will begin, and then they begin to come harder and faster. A third of the earth, a third of the sun, a third of the fresh water. A th- but can you imagine when it's all of the earth, all of the darkness, all of the sun, all, uh, uh, and the seventh bowl is turned over and Jesus returns? Why the pause? Well, two reasons. One, I believe it is to show us that God is merciful, has been merciful, and will be merciful. The key word there is what? Mercy. God is merciful. He wants to show us, secondly, who's behind all of this. And so, Before we jump into this, he wants to show us the false prophet. He wants to show us the Antichrist. He wants to show us what happens to the 144,000. Unrepentant Israel, repentant Israel. What Satan thinks of Jesus, what Satan thinks of the Jews and of Christians. Next week we'll get into something that when Pharaoh was going through all of the plagues, two witnesses came to Pharaoh. Do you remember who they were? Moses and Aaron. And said, this is from God. This is from God. And next week we're going to look at two witnesses, our second characters in this. Two witnesses that look a lot like Moses and Elijah who remind the world that this is from God. This is from God. And you know what? People don't want to hear that. In fact, when this happens, they will end up putting these two witnesses to death and there will be like an Easter celebration in the world because these two witnesses are dead. But we'll talk about that next week. But this is why this pause is here, so we can kind of fill in a little bit of the story as we go along. And then we will see God reaping a harvest. And God's going to do this. And these witnesses call the, the folks to repent, yet they do not. And once all of this has been revealed to us, then he shows us the seven bowls the battle of Armageddon, the millennial kingdom, the great white throne judgment, heaven, hell, end of history as we know it. So, with all of that, let's begin in chapter 10. This pause will last through chapter 15. It's going to be much of a long break with many characters. And so, let's write down our first character. Character number one. The mighty angel with the little scroll. Character number one, the mighty angel with the little scroll. Now the purpose, as we have said before, is we're going to see not only the mercy of God, but martyrs and saints have been praying for years. How long, O Lord? How long until you deal with the unrighteous? Have you ever said like David? How long? Why do the wicked prosper, God? How long? We read passages like Romans chapter 12 where it says, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And we wonder, God, when? When will you do that? We're going to see a little bit of that in this text. The mighty angel and the little scroll. Let's begin with this. Just some questions. I have lots of questions that I thought needed answered, so I thought we'll just throw this out like that. The angel's identity. Here's the first question. What did he look like? Well, it's not for us to describe it. The Bible tells us. Amen? Amen? Okay, there we go. So, let's see what verse 1 says. Then I saw a mighty angel coming down from heaven. Now, here we go. This is what he looked like. Wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face was like the sun and his legs like a pillar of fire. And he had a little scroll open in his hand. All right, so we see a little some characteristics here. Now, Jacob, I want you to do this. I know you're thinking about this little scroll. Don't think about it right now, all right? Sam, don't focus on the little scroll. Let's focus on the angel. Ben, don't focus on the scroll. Boaz, ladies, we're going to get to the scroll, all right? Everybody okay with that? We'll get to the scroll. This is about the angel. The angel's appearance resembles something, though, doesn't it? Like chapter 1, when we see Jesus... How do we see Jesus? Face like the sun, feet of burnished bronze. Is this Jesus? We'll get into that. 
We notice that he's wrapped in a cloud. Scripturally, that just reminds us of God's holiness. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah sees this grand vision, and before he even sees all of the holiness of God, just the, the trail of his garment, the heavens are filled with a cloud. Smoke fills the temple. Wrapped in a cloud reminds us of God's holiness. Crowned with a rainbow represents God's patience. Why do you say that, Nate? Well, when did we first see a rainbow? After the flood. And then after the flood, God said, I'll never do that. I will be patient with man. Man will get like this again, but I will never, this is my sign to you. I will never destroy the world like I did in that way. Face lit like the sun, well, that talks of his benevolence. Every day the sun comes up and energizes our world. Think about that. What would it be like if this morning you woke up and there was no sun? It'd be cold. And since the moon reflects the sun, we wouldn't even see the moon. Every day the sun comes up and blesses us. God is a benevolent God. Feet like fire represent the wrath of God. So this mighty angel mirrors for us the attributes of the Almighty. His holiness, his patience, his benevolence, his wrath. And then what did he do? What did he do? What does the text say? The text says, look at verse 2. He had a little scroll opened in his hand. Jacob, don't think about it. And he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. So we have this mighty angel, and he sets one foot in the water and one foot in the land. Now, this has a lot to do with staking your claim. It's a lot to do with authority. Like, uh, like Neil Armstrong claiming the moon for the United States, or Lewis and Clark, or other great explorers claiming land in the name of their country. This angel is like, I claim this land, I claim this sea in the name of Jesus. It's a position of authority. This is, this is quite an angel, let me just say. Like, if you saw this, you'd probably be really shook up. What did he say? Look at verse 3. Verse 3, it says this, And called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. It had to be a terrible sound. Why do you say that, Nate? Well, when does a lion roar? Does anybody know? A lion roars two times. Let's just say you're walking through the savanna without a gun, and you come face to face with a lion. What's the last thing you're going to hear? The lion roar, and then he will eat you. And the second time is when he's all done eating you. Sorry for the mental image right there. He roars again. And this lays down and rolls. Is he satisfied? So, by a show of hands, who's in favor of standing in front of a lion six inches from their face? Anyone? Anyone here want to see that? No glass, no bars. I know some of you would like to go to the zoo and the lions are there. Right? No, I'm not. Uh, anybody? Okay, I didn't think so. I'm not sure what he said, though. All it says is he called out, and it sounded like a lion's roar. It could have just been a, a yell. It could have been a word, but we don't know. God does not want us to know what he said. Do you know Daniel experienced this very same thing in Daniel chapter 10? In Daniel chapter 10, he had a vision of an angel much like this. Listen, I have the words here for you. You can check this out later. Beginning with verse 4, it says, On the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, and I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold around his waist. His body was like burl, and his face with appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and his legs gleamed with burnished bronze. And the sound of his words were like the sound of the multitude. And he said, I, Daniel, saw this vision, and the men who were with me did not see it, but great trembling fell upon them, and they fled and hid. I was left alone and saw this vision, and no strength was left in me. John now sees this very same thing. 
So let's answer the big $24 million question. Who is this angel? Who is this angel? Some think it's Jesus. In fact, of the commentaries that I read, and there are many, half of them said this was Jesus. The other half said it isn't, and I'm going to camp on that side for myself. I leave it wide open for you, right? But I want to give you four reasons why I don't believe this is Jesus. Here they are. Reason number one, Jesus is always pronounced as Jesus in the book of Revelation. Okay? John knows who Jesus is. And through chapters 1 through 3, he tells us who he is. In chapter 4, he's the Lamb. He's the Lamb who takes the scroll. When the people on earth look into heaven, in chapter 6, they see the one seated on the throne and the Lamb. Jesus is the one who looks like or sounds like a lion, but looks like a lamb. And John knows who Jesus is. He doesn't tell us this is Jesus. In chapter 4, we see the lamb, not an angel. Until chapter 19, he revealed himself in the Old Testament as an angel. After his incarnation, he was God in flesh. In heaven, he's the king. But words are important. And the most important word in this text to help us define who this angel is, is, is found in verse 1. Note with me. Then I saw another mighty angel. Underline that word another. That's important. Another means, in the Greek, it's the word alios, which means another of the same kind. Another of the same kind of what? It's okay to say angel. Another of the same kind of angel. Okay? And so what we are seeing here is this statement that John is saying, this, this wasn't Jesus. This was another mighty angel. John has seen four mighty angels. It's a huge statement here. Now, someone in the commentaries that I read, I'm, I'm not taking credit for this, but this was their statement. I can't remember who it was, so uh, please forgive me for not giving their name credit, but this is their statement, and I agree with it. Although he is not Jesus... He represents or is viewed as the divine agent acting on behalf of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's a huge statement. Right? So this isn't Jesus. It is a mighty angel. And then there's one more thing. This would be another coming. Don't miss that. All right? Jesus came in his incarnation, stepped on the earth, lived as a man, died for our sins, was buried, rose again, ascended to heaven. Now the next time Jesus steps on the earth, you know what's going to happen? You should read Zechariah chapter 14. The next time Jesus steps on the earth, the Mount of Olives will split, and it will go north and south, and a valley will be created, and the battle of Armageddon will help. This is all in the Old Testament. It's all prophesied. If Jesus were to step on earth another time, like this, straddling the sea and the land, it's nowhere in Scripture. So, these are reasons I believe that this is just a mighty angel and not uh, Jesus himself. What about the shiny faces? Well, <laughs> when Moses received the law of God, his face shined. When uh, Moses and Elijah were with, with Jesus at his transfiguration. All of them shined. This angel is clearly in the throne room of God and has this very important message for John. And I, I have no problem with his face shining like this. Obviously, if we go back into the Old Testament in that story that I told you of, of, of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 10, that angel needed help with the prince of Persia. Remember we talked about that last week? Michael, the prince of Israel, came to help him. Jesus wouldn't need help. So, reasons I believe that this is uh, just a mighty angel. Now, let's get to the, the, the meat here of the message. The message to John. Write that down. The message to John. Then he called out the angel, and seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the seven thunders, excuse me, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. So, here we are in the text. The mighty angel roars. 
Seven peals of thunder. And John's like, oh, there's something there. So let me begin to write that down. And the voice that he's heard from Revelation 1, Revelation 4, he's like, stop. Don't write that down. Seal it up. Well, what are these thunders that are about to speak, that spoke? Well, these thunders are the voice of God. Joel 3, Amos 1, and Psalm 29 all talk about this. And I have Psalm 29, I believe, on the screen because I want to show us what this would potentially look like. God, giving David a picture of this, he said, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory to His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Now look, notice, the voice, underline that, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory, what's that word? Thunders. The Lord over many waters. So now, the picture is He's out over the Mediterranean. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. Now He's moved inland to the north of Israel. This powerful voice of the Lord comes inland. Now, when we think of cedars, I don't want us to think of like the cedars that grow in, say, Ohio. The cedars of Lebanon are to be compared to... Anybody ever seen the redwoods? Anybody? Like, there are... I've never seen them, but I've seen pictures where you could actually drive your car through redwood trees in California. That was what these cedars were to be compared to. And the voice of the Lord snaps them in a minute. The voice of the Lord goes on to say, breaks the cedars. says it makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Siron like a wild ox. You ever seen a storm come through a mountain? And the trees are just swaying at the wind. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. More destruction. The voice of the Lord is, shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. Kadesh Barnea is in the south. And this is what it's referring to. So we've seen now how God is working and His voice is traveling through Israel with power and might. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. Now that seems kind of out of place. And the problem is in Hebrew, it could mean makes the deer give birth or it could mean makes the oak snap. And it strips the forest bare. And in His temple all cry, Glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. See, the Lord sat over the first major judgment, and he sits over all judgment. And we are given a picture of this. So John hears God saying something, but he's commanded to seal it up. Why? Well, the secret things belong to the Lord. The Scripture tells us that. And we need to be okay with that. But I want you also to remember that God is merciful. Remember we said that from the very beginning? God is merciful. God does not give us what we deserve. He was, John was able to see and hear what we deserved as sinners. And he said, hold on. It's not coming yet. Seal it up for right now. It's not coming. The seven bowls. God is patient. Who is this voice? Well, I believe it's the voice of Jesus who called him up in chapter 4, called him to heaven. Who's the voice who, who now speaks in this vision to seal it up. The sovereignty of God is in control and he is merciful and he is just. And God determines what we need to know. That's really good. God's done this before in Scripture. Daniel was told to seal up the vision that he saw. Uh, Paul was called to the third heaven and he was told, seal up what you see. Don't describe it to anyone. And now John is told to seal up this. And then we see something, what, what I think would be really amazing. Remember we have this angel who is straddling the land and the sea. And then he raises, I was thinking of Breakfast Club. Have you guys ever seen that movie at the end? And the guy goes, but then he raises his right hand and he takes an oath. He says he swore by him who lives 
forever and ever who created heaven and what is in it and earth is what is in it and the sea and what is in it that there should be no more delay but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he has announced to his servant the prophets so right there in the middle how many in your bibles have like large letters there or it's indented saying this came from another text this part about he swore by the God who created the heavens, who lives forever and created the heavens and earth. That comes from Exodus chapter 11, at the giving of the first law. And because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, amen, it's referenced here. We're seeing God's eternality and his, omni, uh, his omnipotence, and he's fulfilling the coming prophecy. And as he was there, as he created the law, as he created the world, he is fit to judge it all. And this angel says, no more delay, God. No more delay. He said, when the last trumpet sounds, the mystery will be revealed. So one of the last questions is, what is this mystery? Well, it's God's word revealed to us. It's the mystery of the New Testament and Jesus and his bride and the consummation of God's plan in bringing Christ's kingdom to fulfillment. The mystery that the Old Testament never saw coming was Jesus going to the Gentiles and bringing them in and creating the church. And then what the prophecy of the Old Testament was was that he would set up his kingdom. He said, that mystery's out. It's coming. And by the end of chapter of, of Revelations 19, we will see that glorious, glorious kingdom. We had a lot of questions, I know, around the room. Sam, uh, Jacob, Ben, Boaz. You got, I mean, probably some of these ladies here want to know, what is this little scroll, right? Well, it's a meal for John. Can you imagine? My, uh, I don't know if you've heard the beeping going on, but my, my blood sugar monitor's going off and it's saying, you need a meal, you need a meal. Well, John was in need of a meal. And the voice from heaven said, Go, take that scroll. It's one of the first commands here in the text. That, take it from the hand of the one who is standing at the sea and the land. And he went and he took it and he said, eat it. Now think about that for just a minute. How? Jacob, come and take the scroll and I want you to eat it. But then he says, listen, it's going to be sweet to taste. Oh, all right, I'll do that. But once it hits your stomach, it's going to be pretty bitter. Oh. And so he took it, and he did exactly what happened. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, and when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. What is this little scroll? It's open. It's the seven bowls. And John sees them, and John eats them. This also happened in Ezekiel 3 to Ezekiel. He was told to eat the scroll of the judgments of God. It's happened to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 15, 16, where he said, your word was found, and I ate it, and it became a joy and a delight to my soul. But why this bitter, sweet, sweet, bitter? Well, sweet because God's dealing out his justice on evil men. It is sweet. Let me just throw two names out for you, okay? Look up here. How many remember the name Osama bin Laden? How many remember the name Saddam Hussein? How many remember the day they died? And it was sweet. And there was rejoicing when we got the news that the SEAL team had taken out Osama bin Laden. And all of those families who longed for that day had sweetness in their soul. That my child, who died on that battlefield, by this evil person, the vengeance of America has come on this person. And it was sweet. Or all those people who lost people at 9-11. It was sweet. But what about this bitter, Nate? Well, just an illustration to help us kind of think about it. My wife, who's not here with me today, she's visiting our daughter in, in uh, Texas, but uh, my wife loves dessert. 
And I wish I could love dessert with her, but I'm not allowed. But there is one dessert that she will not eat, or at least one part of a dessert that she will not eat. All right? I know it's not the cherry on top of the sundae. It's the thing that the cherry sits on. What does it sit on? Whipped cream. She used to love whipped cream. Until one day she went to West Virginia with her family to visit her grandma. And I don't know why her grandma would do this, but her grandma let her eat the whole tub of whipped cream. And then, why don't you go outside and play, dear? Why don't you go outside and play? On a hot summer's day. Uh, What happens when you have a full stomach of milk on a hot summer's day? She introduced the rest of her family to a little thing called Rolf. Right? But from that day forward, she, she looks at whipped cream and she's like, I told him no whipped cream. Nate, you're going to have to eat that. And of course, I'm like, well, you know, I got diabetes, but for you, babe. So I eat it. And then there's like a little bit left. And she's like, no, there's a little more there. I don't, want, I don't want to touch it at all. Why? Because it's sweet to the taste. But to her, it's bitter. It's just like that with John. With John. God's vengeance is sweet. And everyone's been praying for it. God's vengeance, as we read about the destruction on sinful man, it's like death to the evil dictators is sweet. God's wrath is sweet to the mouth, but vengeance comes with the price. Vengeance is bitter. John's meal is sweet. God has heard our cry, but the vengeance dealt them is bitter. Listen, listen. Don't miss this. The carnage on humanity before even the seven bowls is poured out, is bitter when you think of it. How gruesome that cup of wrath will be. I heard a pastor relate a story uh, that his son, his son was in the Secret Service, and uh, he went with an official government agent to help de-escalate an area that was a warlord was kind of wanting to do battle against the United States and was pressing in against them. And he went with this person. His son did. Uh, he, was, he was with the Secret Service. And he said they, the negotiations weren't getting anywhere. And finally, that government agent looked at him with tears in his eyes. And he's like, sir, you think you know everything that we have to bring against you, but you have no idea. And then as the tears began to flow and through tears and cries, he looked at them and he began to point. He says, we're going to kill you. And we're going to kill you. And we're going to kill your family. And we're going to kill your village. He said he was almost in tears by the time he got to the leader. And he said, please, please accept this. Don't make us do this. Yes, vengeance would have been sweet but it would have been bitter. And John looks and sees, and God is calling harvesters to bring the grapes of wrath into a cup of his judgment. That first cup was poured out on Jesus, the righteous one, and he saw it. He wanted that cup to pass from him, but he took it on the cross to satisfy the wrath of God on sinful man. Listen, listen. So that we could have salvation. But this cup of wrath, this is the final bowls of God's judgment on all of humanity, and it's horrifying. And if you're here as a follower of Jesus Christ, you should desire that no one goes to hell. But that even the chief of sinners would come to repentance. And as we ponder it, yes, vengeance is good, but eternal separation from God is bitter. That's why this pause is here. Exodus 34 says this of God. Why is this pause here? Because God is merciful. Exodus 34, God passes before Moses, and what does he say of himself? The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, a God gracious, a God slow to anger, a God abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, and forgiving iniquities and transgressions. Think of all of what he said about himself right there. It's all mercy and grace and love. And then he says, who will by no means clear the guilty. This pauses to remind us that God is merciful. And when this angel says no more delay and the grapes of wrath will be stomped out, it will be sweet and it will be bitter. Now let me ask you a question. 
we draw this to a close. Do you know anyone who has spurned the love of Jesus? Who's, you've tried to tell them about Jesus, but they don't want to have anything to do with it. They don't want to hear about His mercy or His grace. Maybe it's a, a mother or a, a father or a, a, a child or a friend or a, a neighbor. Now when you hear of this, and you read this, and you understand what the Lord's judgment... Listen, listen, listen. Do you weep for them? That they could go to an eternity without God in a place called hell? What if they were the last one? Wouldn't that be sweet? But if they never came to Jesus, how would you feel? This pause is meant to hit our stomach hard like a bad gas station burrito. That is why John said, or John is told, get back to work. I was told, I must again prophesy to many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. He's like, you, you got to tell everyone. You got to tell everyone, John. This is coming. Now, I love, I love the end of the shepherd. The end of the shepherd. He's like, what is the baby's name? Jesus. And they all leave, and they're like, what? And they look at it, and people must know. People must know. John's told, people must know. Tell everyone, people, nations, languages, and kings. The gospel truth. What is the gospel truth? Listen, there's nothing to write. Just I want you to look up here and I want you to listen. The gospel truth is this, that we are all sinners. and That sin has been imputed to us from our birth. That sin caused us to be dead in our trespasses and sins. We were physically alive, but morally incapable of being good, of doing good, or coming to God. You may think, I'm just good enough. You're never good enough, because you're dead morally in your sin. And what can a dead man do? But at the right time, when all was lost, when we were without hope, Christ Jesus, God of very gods, came to us in the form of a man. God was skin on it. He incarnated Himself. He came into our situation and lived without sin. Jesus was the only man who was good. He was perfect as God is perfect. And I tell you that because He proclaimed the good news of salvation to Israel and they rejected Him. And He became God's perfect Lamb who was bruised for our iniquity. Don't miss that. He was pierced for our sin and the judgment of God for our sin was placed on Him so that He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And He was crucified on a cross and He was buried and He rose again. How could He do that? Because death could not hold Him. Acts 2 says it had no power to hold Him in the grave. And He defeated the wage of our sin. What is the wage of our sin? The wage of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. You know, in the New Testament, Christians after that moment were never told that they died. They just went to sleep. Because death was defeated. And here's where it really gets good. Because we were dead in our sins and dead men can't do anything, God made us alive through Christ. We were adopted, forgiven, sanctified, justified, and one day in His presence we will be glorified. He plucked us out of the world and placed us in His family. And He is our shepherd and our defender now. We no longer are condemned. Amen? We heard the voice of the lion call and we came. And now, listen, people must know. People must know. It's a simple truth. People must know the mercy of God. I'm not assuming that you know. Do you know? Do you know? Listen, the, the judgment of God is sweet, but it is bitter. Sharing the word of God is sweet. So share it. Let that be sweet in your mouth. And if you're here without Jesus, ponder what he has done for you. 
in just a moment. That's what we're going to do. Uh, if you're joining us on Facebook, uh, we're going to go to a time of communion after our final song. And so uh, I'm asking for those of you that are in the room um, just to, to be mindful that this time that we're about to go into is our time of reflection as we think about what Jesus has done for us. And the great, the beauty of the gospel is that we don't have to endure what, what the rest of society will endure in the tribulation. And we, we need to be grateful for that. And he said, when you come together at the table, remember these things. Okay? And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to come together and, and, and do that. But after the, uh, this song, we'll, we'll take our communion together and we'll rejoice in that. Um, for those of you that are watching on, on Facebook or, or uh, not able to join us, um, we're going to use this as our closing song after I pray. And I, my prayer is that if you're listening without Jesus, that this would be the day that you would turn to him. If you need to ask more questions, please contact us. We'd love to, to share more about the gospel with you. All right, let's pray together, and then we will go into our time of, uh, of song and then communion. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you for Jesus, the righteous one, who died for us so that we could have eternal life. And as we come into this fellowship time together around your table, sanctify us uh, again and again as we confess our sins to you, as we, we think about how great your love has been towards us. Build us up in the gospel. This, this text is, is one that, that, that is sweet, yet bitter. We know that your working with man is going to come to an end. And that's sweet because we've cried out how long will evil how long will evil prosper? But yet it's bitter when we think about all those we know without Jesus. So Father, if anyone's watching, if anyone is here without you today, Father, would they just call on you? Would they hear the voice of our Savior calling as the Spirit draws them? Would they just don't hold back. Would they cry out for forgiveness? Would they ask you for forgiveness today, we pray in Jesus' name. They would repent of their sins and turn to you as their way of salvation, the one who has done it all. And would you impart to them new life, no longer dead in their sins, but alive in Christ. Do the thing that you can do and do it now in this moment, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Harvest Bible Chapel in Cambridge, Ohio, check out our website at harvestcambridge.org or like us on Facebook at Harvest Cambridge. You are loved.